6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Dr. Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Dr. Missler begins his teaching on the book of 2 Kings, chapters 24 and 25. Let's do bow our hearts for a word of prayer. Well, Father, we just thank you for who you are, and we thank you for this opportunity you've provided that we might gather and hear your word. And Father, as we begin to recognize that there are things that anger you and there are things that please you, that while we're not under the law, we're not part of that culture back then, we nevertheless deeply desire to understand what does please you and what angers you, Father, that we too might be more fruitful than these that you had to bring to judgment. Father, we do ask that you, through your Holy Spirit, that you would help us to appropriate what we're learning to our time today and to our own personal lives. Help us to be sensitive, Father, that there are things that offend you, and there are also things that please you, a right heart before you. Father, we do pray that through your word and through your Holy Spirit, you might help us to understand and to appropriate these teachings to our conduct, that we might be pleasing in your sight and more fruitful stewards of what your great gifts in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're in Second Kings session 8, the final session of our tour through the second book of Kings. We're going to have the last two chapters, 24 and 25, and a few surprises as we go, perhaps. So again, you may recall that First Kings talked about both Judah and Israel, down Judah through Jehoshaphat and Israel through Ahaziah. Second Kings then, of course, went further. And, of course, the northern kingdom had, uh, at the, uh, had uh, some chapters ago uh, not only gone from bad to worse, but also gone into the Assyrian captivity. The southern kingdom lasts basically almost a century longer, about 80 years longer. We're going to be focusing on the last four kings. And uh, we'll take a look at that. Josiah we've just talked about. He has three sons, Jehoahaz, Jehoiakim, actually originally uh, uh, called Eliakim. and Ma- Actually, it was Shalom, Eliakim, and Mataniah, but they changed the names to Jehoahaz, Jehoiakim, and Mataniah's name will also be changed before it's over to Zedekiah. Uh, we have uh, uh, Jehoi- Jehoahaz takes over for 31 months, and then Jehoiakim, Eliakim, you remember the Pharaoh Necho takes Eliakim and, and renames him. He reigns for 11 years, and... Uh, when he gets put down, Jehoiachin. Now, this is a guy you're going to get confused about, but it's very important. Jehoiachin is also called Jeconiah and also called Kaniah. Those three names are all the same guy. Jehoiachin, Jeconiah, and Kaniah. And he's bad news. And uh, what happens with these kings is the, the, the they're, they're under the dominion of Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, Jeremiah in Jerusalem... And Ezekiel, who is one of the early deports into Babylon, are preaching that Nebuchadnezzar is the instrument of God, that, that it's their duty to yield to Nebuchadnezzar. 
The false prophets were, were teaching the king just the opposite. They get him on an ego trip. Now we're God's chosen people. We should rebel against this pagan king. And they ultimately get Jehoi- Je- Je- uh, uh, Jehoiakim to do that. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar lays another siege down and replaces him with Jehoiachin. And again, Jeremiah, especially and Ezekiel, both are, are preaching. Look, this is this. If you don't yield to Nebuchadnezzar, he's going to destroy Jerusalem. Up till then, they, the, the nations ended; they're under captivity. But uh, if you, if you don't yield to him, it's going to get worse. He's actually going to level the city and take you all captives. Well, sure enough, there again, they don't listen to Jeremiah. In fact, they throw Jeremiah in prison because he's a he, say, he sounds like a traitor. He's saying that we should yield to this pagan ruler. And uh, Jeremiah says, That's, it's God's will. This is God's judgment. And Jehoiachin does the same thing that... Uh, anyway, the same thing happens again, that uh, he gets put down, and, and uh, Nebuchadnezzar puts Metaniah, another son. Again, he keeps it within the dynasty of David, but he has Metaniah's name changed to Zedekiah and puts him in charge. He's actually Jehoiachin's uncle. But there again, the same scenario takes place. The false prophets put Zedekiah, get him on an ego trip, and he rebels. And by the time when he finally does, Nebuchadnezzar has a belly foot of the whole thing, and he, he, he takes them all captive, levels the place. So there's three sieges we're going to be talking about as we go through here. And uh, Jehoiachin is just for three months, uh, Zedekiah is uh, 11 years. So 2 Kings 24, the twilight of the southern kingdom. Verse 1, In his days Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up, and Jehoiakim became his servant three years, and he turned and rebelled against him. And the Lord sent against him bands of the Chaldees, bands of the Syrians, bands of the Moabites, bands of the children of Ammon, and sent them against Judah to destroy it, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by his servants, the prophets. Surely the, the command of the Lord came upon this, this, came this upon Judah to remove them out of his sight from the sins of Manasseh, according to all he did. I think we covered that adequately before. But the point is, I want you to notice, God seems to equate the uh, removing them out of his sight with them being removed from the land. We should probably uh, back up here a little bit. Um, they they are going to be going into captivity, not wiped out like the Assyrians. Uh, uh, Judah had some good kings, but they're also ruled at times by apostates. Queen Athaliah, we remember her, attempted to bring Baal worship to uh, Judah as Jezebel, her mother, did to the northern kingdom. And uh, Baal worship was never firmly established in Judah, but the land because the land had some revivals under Asa, Je- Jehoshaphat, and Joash. But on the other hand, they were never really completely committed to the Lord either. And of course, Hezekiah uh, uh, instituted drastic reforms to correct the, the, the adultery of his father Ahaz. And uh, this is where we have two great prophets, Isaiah and Micah, uh, influencing Hezekiah, and they really cleansed the land. But of course, Hezekiah's own son, Manasseh, for 50, who ruled for 55 years, was one of the worst rulers, as we've covered in the previous session. Uh, Jeremiah and Ezekiel both will be prophesying in this period, and they graphically describe the way of life of Judah's people, a way of life that you know helps us really see clearly why God was upset. Uh, as we look at the highlights of the Judah's history, the kings who struggled to try to get Judah back to the, to the Lord, uh, the prophets that he sent to war on his own, as we watch those struggles, we realize the love of God. If we would just learn of him and turn to him, our lives are different. Their lives would have been and ours are as, as, as we apply that. But uh, Now, a little bit of background, Nebuchadnezzar, by the way. Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon. 
he succeeded in establishing the domination. This city that was a pawn of Assyrian politics rises to power. Nabopolassar is the king. He has a very sharp son. His son is an outstanding general, a guy by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. He led his father's army against the uh, Egyptians. And uh, there's a very, very major battle, the Battle of Karshemesh, where uh, he is defeated. And uh, the... Uh, and that will establish Babylonia as the dominant power in the uh, in the in the region, and uh, so Egypt, as its vassals, and Judah, pass under Babylonian control at this point. And so Nebuchadnezzar invades the land of Judah, uh, in about this is about six or five, six or six BC, in order to bring Judah securely under his rule. And it's that time that he takes some captives. He sets up a vassal king, but he takes Daniel and a group of captives. And probably, I think uh, I forget whether Ezekiel is part of the first or second. There's there's three different sieges, but um, Jehoiakim, uh, the, the puppet uh, king, is, submits to Nebuchadnezzar for about three years, but then he revolts, and he unsuccessfully appeals to Egypt for help, but he's eventually taken to prison to Babylon, and uh, he apparently escapes or somehow gets released because he only dies in Jerusalem. In any case. Um, we have all these uh, uh, allies, if you will, of Nebuchadnezzar, the Chaldees, the Syrians, the Moabites, and so forth, all come up against in the second siege. So uh, God sent these armies against Judah to punish her for their sins. See, they don't realize, I guess, is that they are to yield to Nebuchadnezzar, not fight him. Isaiah, Micah, Jeremiah, and Habakkuk and others are all preaching in this time uh, in, in those terms. So surely the command of the Lord came upon this about Judah to remove them out of his sight for the sins of Manasseh according to all that he did, and also for the innocent blood that he shed. For he filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, which the Lord would not pardon. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoiakim and all that he did, are they not written in the chronicles of the kings of Judah? So Jehoiakim slept with his fathers, and Jehoiachin, his son, reigned in his stead. Now Jehoiachin is also called Jeconiah or Kaniah and some other passages, same guy. And the king of Egypt came not again any more out of his land. The king of Babylon had taken from the river of Egypt unto the river Euphrates all that pertained to the king of Egypt. So, so they, they are under Nebuchadnezzar's thumb, if you will. And by the way, I might just mention in, in relative to verse 6 that Je- Jeremiah the prophet really despised Jehoiakim for his wickedness. There's a lot of passages in Jeremiah, chapter 22 and 26 and so on. In fact, in 22.19 says, He shall be buried with the burial of an ass drawn and cast forth beyond the gates of Jerusalem. That's the way Jeremiah talks about the, uh, the burial we don't have, uh, you know, of, of Jehoiakim. Pretty, pretty uh, uh, nasty stuff. And uh, Pharaoh Necho, anyway, no longer asserts himself to regain the territory. Um, he lost uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, all part of, of, of God's sovereign discipline. Okay, verse 8. Jehoiachin was 18 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned in Jerusalem three months, and his mother's name was Nehushta, the daughter of Elnathan of Jerusalem. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father had done. At that time, the servants of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up against Jerusalem, and the city was besieged. And Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came against the city, and his servants did besiege it. And Jehoiachin, the king of Judah, went out to the king of Babylon, he and his mother and his servants and his princes and his officers, and the king of Babylon took him in the eighth year of his reign. And he carried out thence all the treasures of the house of the Lord, the treasures of the king's house, 
and cut in pieces all the vessels of gold which the Solomon, which Solomon the king of Israel had made in the temple of the Lord as the Lord had said. And he carried away all Jerusalem and the princes and all the mighty men of valor, even 10,000 captives and all the craftsmen and smiths. None remained save the poorest sort of the people of the land. And he carried away Jehoiachin to Babylon, the king's mother, the king's wives, and his officers, the mighty of the land. These he carried, carried he into captivity from Jerusalem to Babylon. Some, there's some ambiguity about just exactly how Jehoiachin died. Probably might have been in that siege, actually. But uh, in any case, um, Jehoiachin obviously is surrendering to Nebuchadnezzar along with the queen mother and all the attendant nobles and so forth. Um, and, and Nebuchadnezzar took all the treasures of the temple and palace and the, and the gold articles. There are inventories of this kind of thing in some of the other passages, but nowhere is the Ark of the Covenant mentioned. It's, it's conspicuous in its absence. Some scholars suspect, well, he, he, the, you know, the, the Babylonians took it and destroyed it. It doesn't say that. It lists a lot of other details. It doesn't list the Ark. That's another reason we think the Ark was escaped, that it was down in Egypt someplace, uh, in hiding, uh, in, in special protection. Now, Nebuchadnezzar is taking virtually all the officers, 7,000 soldiers, we're going to discover in verse 16, 1,000 craftsmen, artisans, 10,000 people taken captive. This this is where Ezekiel is also taken. Ezekiel, because Jeremiah, I believe, will still be at Babylon, but uh, Ezekiel will be in, I mean, as Jeremiah will stay in Jerusalem, uh, Ezekiel will be uh, doing his writing from Babylon. And by the way, it speaks of, uh, in verse 15 here, those that he carried, there are ration tablets from Babylon for Jehoiachin and his five sons have been found, by the way. It's an archaeological discovery back in 1942, for what it's worth. But all the, uh, and all the men of might, even 7,000, and craftsmen and smiths and 1,000, th- uh, all that were strong and apt for war, even them the king of Babylon brought captive to Babylon. The king of Babylon made Metaniah, his father's brother's king, his father's brother, king in his stead, and, uh, uh, and changed his name to Zedekiah. So this is the third son of Josiah. Uh, so we're still, strangely enough, despite the the pagan uh, leaders changing things around, they they uh, probably to keep peace in the land, keep a member of the house of David on the throne. So uh, Mataniah is named Zedekiah and put in charge, uh, still obviously under the subject rule of Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, so. This is the second time that they have been deported to Babylon, the second deportation. The first deportation was after the initial victory back in 605. Now Zedekiah was 21 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Hamutal, the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that Jehoiakim had done. You know how tragic it is. All three of these sons of Josiah haven't learned anything from their dad. They're bad news. They're, they're, they're... They're just, they're offending the very God that's put him there for, for, uh, for judgment, if you will. And, uh, Jehoiachin will only reign about three months, apparently. Zedekiah will, uh, see, Jehoiachin was mentioned probably because he reigned 11 years, where the, Zedekiah's immediate successor lived only three months. For through the anger of the Lord it came to pass in Jerusalem and Judah until he had cast them out from his presence that Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. Now, you're missing a lot of drama here. If we were going through the book of Jeremiah, we'd get a lot more detail here. Basically, the same pattern, though. The king gets listens to the false prophets, rebels against the king of Babylon, which is not only going against a superior force, it's going against God's purpose in having them in captivity in the first place. That's what Jeremiah is trying to get across to them. 
But they just regard him as a traitor and, and keep at it. So, uh, so uh, that finishes verse chapter 24. Let's go to 25, the final siege. We're going to get to the third and final siege of Nebuchadnezzar. It came to pass in the ninth year of his reign, the tenth month, the tenth day of the month, that Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came, he and all his host, against Jerusalem and pitched against it, and they built forts, forts against it round about. And the city was besieged unto the eleventh year of Zedekiah. And on the ninth day of the fourth month, famine prevailed in the city, and there was no bread for the people of the land. You know, a siege, we glibly read about these things, but we have no capacity to imagine what it was like. Sealing off a city um, and uh, not letting anybody go in or out. And they quickly dried up their food, and they pretty soon the women were eating their babies. It was uh, it's, it's, it's unimaginable, unimaginable uh, famine and so forth. And the city was broken up, and all the men of war fled by night by the way of the gate between the two walls, which is by the king's garden. Now the Chaldees were against the city round about, and the king went the way toward the plain. And the army of the Chaldees pursued after the king and overtook him in the plains of Jericho. And all his army were scattered from him. And they took the king and brought him up to the king of Babylon at Riblah. That's where he apparently had his headquarters, you know, his, his uh, uh, headquarter camp. And they gave judgment upon him. And I want you to notice verse 7. There's Zedekiah. He's trying to flee, but they got him. And they slew the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes. Then they put out the eyes of Zedekiah and bound him in fetters of brass and carried him to Babylon. Why am I making a point of this? Well, because if we read the writings of Ezekiel, both Jeremiah and Ezekiel talk a lot about Zedekiah, trying to tell him, don't do what you're trying to do. Big mistake. And uh, Jeremiah said, you're going to die there. You'll die in Babylon. And Ezekiel said in verse 13 of chapter 12 of Ezekiel, he says, My net will I also spread upon him, and he shall be taken in my snare, and I will bring him to Babylon, to the land of the Chaldeans. Yet he shall not see it, though he shall die there. And uh, Zedekiah made fun of the two of you. You two prophets can't get your act together. One guy says, I won't see Babylon. The other guy says, I'm going to die there. Guess what? Both are true. He shall not see it, though he shall die there. What did they do when they caught him? First thing they did is he had him changed. They took his sons and slaughtered them before his eyes so there'd be no progeny. Right? Then they blinded him so he'd be, you know, so he couldn't escape and so forth and took him to Babylon. That's where he died. You know, when you read prophecies like this, it's really sobering because you realize that God means what he says and says what he means. I, every, to every place in the scripture where I see prophecy fulfilled, it's literal. It's precise, not just symbolic. It's very, very precise. Well, moving on, anyway, 2 Kings 25, verse 8. And in the fifth month, on the seventh day of the month, which is the nineteenth year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came Nebuzaradan, captain of the guard, a servant of the king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem. And he burnt the house of the Lord, and the king's house, and all the houses of Jerusalem, and every great man's house burnt he with fire. And all the army of the Chaldees that were with the captain of the guard break down the walls of Jerusalem round about. And now the rest of the people that were left in the city and the fugitives that fell away to the king of Babylon with the remnant of the multitude did Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, carry away. But the captain of the guard left the poor of the land to be wine dressers and husbandmen. 
And the pillars of brass that were in the house of the Lord, and the bases, and the brazen sea that was in the house of the Lord, did the Chaldees break in pieces and carried the brass of them to Babylon. And the pots, and shovels, and snuffers, and spoons, and all the vessels of brass wherewith they ministered, they took away. And the firepans, and bowls, and such things as were of gold, in gold, and of silver, and in silver, the captain of the guard took away. The two pillars, the one sea, the bases which Solomon had made for the house of the Lord, the brass of all these vessels, was without weight. The height of the one pillar was 18 cubits, and the chapter upon it was brass, and the height of the chapter was three cubits, and the wreathen work and the pomegranates upon the chapter round about, all of brass and the like under these, the second pillar with wreathen work. And the captain of the guard took Sariah, the chief priest, and Zephaniah, the second priest, and the three keepers of the door. And out of the city he took an officer that was set over the men of war, and five men of them that were in the king's presence, which were found in the city, and the principal scribe of the host, which mustered the people of the land, and threescore men of the people of the land that were found in the city. And Abuzaradan, the captain of the guard, took these and brought them to the king of Babylon, to Riblah. And the king of Babylon smote them, slew them in Riblah in the land of Hamath. So Judah was carried away out of the land. And as for the people that remained in the land of Judah whom Nebuchadnezzar the king of Babylon had left. Even over them he made Gedaliah, the son of Ahiakim, the son of Shaphan, the ruler. So he's appointing. Now, why would he appoint Gedaliah? Well, one of the reasons, if you do your homework in Jeremiah, Gedaliah was very friendly with Jeremiah. Jeremiah's whole position was pro-Nebuchadnezzar. Even though he's the conqueror, Jeremiah's whole preachment was, Nebuchadnezzar's doing God's will. We should yield to that. Gedalia was a friend of Jeremiah, so here Nebuchadnezzar, knowing that, he's looking for a governor to take care of the poor that he's left behind. He appoints Gedalia a governor because he's going to be pro-Babylonian. You follow me? When all the captains of the armies uh, and their men uh, heard that the king of Babylon had made Gedalia the governor, there came to Gedalia to Mitzvah even Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, and Yohanan, the son of Kariah, and Syria, the son of Tanhumath, the Netophathite, and Jezaniah, the son of the Machathite, they and their men. And I don't think you need to know those names, so I didn't pronounce them properly anyway, so let's move on. And Gedaliah swore to them and to their men and said to them, Fear not to be the servants of the Chaldees, dwell in the land, and serve the king of Babylon, and it shall be well with you. But it came to pass in the seventh month that Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, the son of Elishama, of the seed royal, that's interesting, came and ten men with him and smote Gedaliah, that he died, and the Jews and the Chaldees that were with him in Mitzvah. See, Ishmael was of the royal family. Gedaliah was not. He was appointed by Nebuchadnezzar. So Ishmael had the audacity to assume that he should be ruling because he's, he's of the royal line. He's of the house of David. And all the people, both small and great, and the captains of the armies rose and came to Egypt, for they were afraid of the Chaldees. And it came to pass in the seventh and thirtieth year of captivity, of Jehoiachin, the king of Judah, in the twelfth month on the seventh, seven and twentieth day of the month, that even Merodach, king of Babylon, in the year that he began to reign, did lift up the head of Jehoiachin, the king of Judah, out of prison. Jehoiachin sees in prison, but, but he's got a new, new king is now in charge, and so he takes him out of, he lifts him out of prison. It's kind of interesting that, uh, it ends there, um, on a positive note. And he spake kindly to him and set his throne above the throne of the kings that were with him in Babylon. And Jehoiachin was treated with greater respect, obviously, um, but by the succeeding king. 
than the other conquered kings that were in Babylon. And this may be because Jehoiachin repented before the Lord, but uh, that change of heart isn't recorded in the text. That's just a speculation. Anyway, he changed his prison garments, did eat bread continually before him in all the days of his life, and his allowance was a continual allowance given him of the king at daily rate for every day all the days of his life. So he's in a minimum security situation here that the, the new king, Evo Meridox's name, uh, provided for him. And so it, it seems as if the writer here is trying to end on a positive note. And uh, it's, it, the reason that you talk about this is that it, it's, it's, it's a very, very grim time for the house of Judah going into captivity. They're going to be in captivity for 70 years until the Persians conquer Babylon and Cyrus the Persian uh, then uh, uh, not only allows, he in fact encourages the, uh, Babel, the uh, Jews to go back home and rebuild their temple. Only less than 50,000 take advantage of that. He even gives them incentives to go and he makes donations to the temple. Cyrus, the whole story of Cyrus is a terrific thing. But uh, I'd like to, uh, uh, since we've got a little time, give you some other aspects to this. There's something else that you should know about Jeconiah. This guy called Jehoiachin, or sometimes called Kaniah. In Jeremiah chapter 22, Jeremiah is quite articulate about all the problems with these bad guys. The guys after Josiah are all bad news. But by the time you get to Jeconiah, the Lord has had it. They're going to captivity, but I want you to notice in Jeremiah chapter 22, verse 30, there's a verse that you want to note. Thus saith the Lord, Write ye this man childless, a man that shall not prosper in his days. For no man of his seed shall prosper, sitting upon the throne of David and ruling any more in Judah. You say, okay, well, what, what's that got to do with anything? There's a problem. Do you see the problem? You see, I have in my imagination, I, whenever I see this, I always imagine Satan and his counsels throwing a party. Because Satan must have been convinced that God had shot himself in the foot, as we might say. God has committed himself that the Messiah will come from the royal line of David. Here is the last of the royal line, and he, God here pronounces a blood curse on the descendants of Jeconiah. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Dr. Chuck Musler, teaching through the book of 2 Kings. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. You can also call us on 1-800-K-HOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.